Just because you believe in God does not mean you know where he is in the world. It doesn't mean you know where he is in your life. You may have heard other people talking about God in terms of the fact that they know where God is. They say, oh yeah, I know where God is. I see God work in my life. I feel him. I know he is close to me. You may hear people talk like that. And you may hear people say, I don't have a clue. I wish I knew. Either way, whether you're on one extreme or, or the other or somewhere in between, the truth is we all look for him. Eventually, it happens. Whether you are a Christian or not, we still, in one way or another, look for God. Especially in times of pain or tragedy, when we have great questions. And, and the search for God has left a lot of people discouraged, to be quite honest. Puzzled. Maybe even in despair, and, and they've just decided, I, I don't need God. And they reject him outright. I think it's fascinating how in the first century, the Apostle Paul points out so very clearly that the purpose that God has for humanity, which includes me and you and all of us, the purpose that God has for humanity is that we would reach out for God and find him, though he is not far from any one of us, that we would reach out and not just reach out with longing and intention and I hope it works out, but no, actually find God, but he's not far from anybody. It's very important. That at the beginning of a series where we are asking the question, where is God? that we see that he's not playing hard to get. He's not playing hide and seek. He's not playing games with us. He wants us to search for him and yet he wants to be found. He's not far from any one of us. You'd expect if God was close though, you'd know it, right? That if the God of heaven and earth, the almighty God of the universe was close by, that you and I would notice that, that we would feel that, that we would sense that, that we would be able to put our finger at least on something and point to it and say, that's proof, right? We would all think that. Well, see, that's why we're doing this series. We're doing this series is because we all search, we all look, and we all have the question. And I'm just going to let you know, today we're just going to lay a foundation. This is very important stuff, what we're going to talk about today. But we're going on a journey. This is going to take us three to four weeks to really complete the picture. So if you find yourself with more questions after today, good. Because that's what you should be thinking and feeling. But we're going to lay a foundation that we, it's going to seem odd maybe at first, but this is so very important for, for me and you and all of us. And, and I'm just going to let you know right up front, what I need to do first is give you a little history lesson. Exciting, huh? Right. Okay, it's so important. I know, I, you know, there's probably five of you here that are excited. History. Oh, yay. Good for you. 
For the rest of us, we're like, wah, 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 history, I don't need history. Okay, no, but history is very important. The, you, you'll see why this is so important in the next few minutes. So just kind of hang with me. Uh, let me lay a foundation. I'm going to take you back thousands of years. Thousands of years ago in ancient Israel, if you're a follower of Jesus and you, and you know a little bit about the Bible, this is Old Testament times, way back at the beginning, when God introduced himself to humanity as far as his presence is concerned, he introduced the fact that he was here and present on the earth in a very specific way. And I want to just put it up here on the screen, and, and we're going to go some different places. But it was called the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was a specific room, and I'm going to summarize a lot. There's a lot of detail here, and I'm going to summarize a lot to, to take you somewhere. The Holy of Holies was a specific room in the tabernacle. Now, what's the tabernacle? There's a word we don't use often. The tabernacle was the place of worship for ancient Israel before they settled in Jerusalem and built a temple. The tabernacle was basically a glorified tent that they set up, and when they moved, they would take it down, and there were very specific specifications to how the tabernacle was to be built, and specifically the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was the, inter, the innermost room, the innermost part of the, holy, uh, of the tabernacle. And then eventually the temple. When King David came along and King Solomon and they built the temple in Jerusalem, you've still got the Holy of Holies in the temple now. It's not a tent that they're taking around. It's a, it's a specific place, bricks and mortar kind of thing, but a lot better than that, right? Beautiful. The Holy of Holies was the innermost part of the tabernacle, the innermost part of the temple where the presence of God resided. It's where God, for lack of a better word, and I know this is not very reverent, but it communicates, it's where God hung out. It's where God was. And only one person was allowed into the Holy of Holies. It was such a holy place. Only one person was allowed in the Holy of Holies, and they were only allowed in that place one day a year. And that one person was the high priest, and that one day a year was called the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and he was the only one allowed in there, and this was the only day, and he would petition God for the forgiveness of the sins of the whole nation. See, the Holy of Holies was separated from the rest of the temple by this massive curtain called a veil. It was such a holy place, it had to be quarantined off, for lack of a better term, from everything else. And that's where God's presence resided. In the Holy of Holies, the presence of God was all about a place and a space. It was all about a holy place and a holy space, and it was called the Holy of Holies. Okay, that's the first part of the history lesson. Fast forward now, thousands of years, you've got Jesus on the earth in the first century. In the early part of the first century, Jesus is on earth walking and talking, and then at the end of his ministry, he gave his life for the forgiveness of the sins of the world by sacrificing himself on a cross, just like he said he would do. And Jesus' death on the cross was the turning point, was the hinge point, was the watershed moment where everything changed when it came to the presence of God, where God was. When Jesus died on the cross, something very specific happened. We're told that in the temple, that curtain, that veil tore 
or it was torn. At the moment Jesus died, the veil in the temple tore, and it tore from top to bottom. Now, that's significant. And the reason that's significant is because this was something that no human being could have done because of the massive size of the veil. Just hang with me just a second. That curtain, that veil that separated the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was from everything else was about 60 feet high. Now, for those of you that are in Kernersville at our broadcast location, if you'd look around or look up, the room you're in is just shy of 30 feet high. So at least twice as high as the room you're in now, that's how high this veil, this curtain was. It was 60 feet high, it was 30 feet long, and it was somewhere, historians tell us, between one inch and four inches thick. You don't rip one of those things, right? And, and even if we tried, where would we start? At the bottom, where we could get to, right? The fact that it was torn from top to bottom signifies it was a supernatural event. God did it. What did it signify? Signified that something's changing. No longer will God's presence be confined to a place or a space. Fast forward. 30 to 40 days after Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, just like he said he would, about a month or so, a little bit more than a month after that, is the festival of Pentecost. And at the festival of Pentecost, something happened that Jesus said would happen. He predicted it, and he said it's going to happen, and it happened just like he said. God sent his spirit, his presence, to indwell and live in people, in us in the lives of his followers. So it starts thousands of years ago, confined to a place and a space, God's presence, God's spirit. Then Jesus, God in the flesh, comes to earth and breaks down the barrier, the sin barrier, the, the barrier between man and God, and among other things, broke down the barrier and allowed access for the presence of God. And now he sent his spirit at Pentecost. And from that day on, his spirit is in us. Us meaning those who've trusted and followed Jesus. So what's this teach us? What's the conclusion? End of history lesson with this right here. God's presence is no longer about places and spaces. It's about faces. Faces. What faces? You. Me, us. No longer is God's presence about a building, a holy room, or a holy city. Not even a holy geographic region of the planet. No, it's about people, not about a place. So this is a big shift in thinking, all right? A huge shift in thinking. Such a big shift that it almost sounds wrong. What? It's not about a, a temple? It's not about a place that you go? And this is a holy spot? Or this is a holy place? Or this is holy stuff? No. Because of what Jesus did, and the veil being torn from top to bottom, from that moment on, no longer about places or spaces. This means, listen very carefully, there are no more holy places and no more holy spaces. There are only holy 
people. And by holy people, I don't mean a pastor, a man of the cloth, which is always kind of odd, like what cloth? Like a washcloth? Yeah. And I can joke it because it's my profession. So, no, no, I'm not talking about a pastor. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a priest. It's not what I'm talking about. There's no more holy people like, it's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about holy people as in anyone, me, you, 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 you watching online, wherever you're watching from, anyone who trusts and follows Jesus. God has taken his spirit, his presence, and he's placed it within you and within me and within us. And that's what makes us holy. It's about holy people. It's not about holy places anymore. Now, the New Testament is filled with this, okay? okay we're not doing the history stuff anymore. Now we're going to see that, you know, just a little bit more, and, and then we'll talk about how it impacts our lives. So we're laying a foundation. Let me show you in the New Testament now where this is so clear. Stephen was the first recorded martyr in the first century, a leader in the early church. And right before they killed him for his faith in Jesus, he was explaining to them why he believed in Jesus so much. And in his eloquent defense of his faith, he says these words, however, the most high, talking about God, does not live in temples made by human hands. Which was odd because they had a temple. And until AD 70, until it was destroyed, they had a temple. What do you mean he doesn't live in a temple? He's always lived in the temple. He's in that room back there, the Holy of Holies. And we're not sure what happened to that curtain. We've been trying to sew the thing back together. This ain't working. I don't know if they tried to sew it back together. I made that part up. But, but at least I told you I made that part up. <laughs> okay. All the other stuff. I, I, don't, I don't Wow. Man. He, I'm the temple. I'm the temple. Yeah. It's a shift in thinking. Paul, later on, says this to a group of philosophers that he was having a very uh, interesting discussion with at Mars Hill. Since he, God, is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. There it is again. He doesn't live in, well, where does he live? It's a great question. Paul, to a group of Christ followers in Corinth, says it like this. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? All of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you. You should know this. In you. I mean, that just blows your mind. How is that possible? I don't know. I just know it's true. And then he says it again. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Why is that? How is that possible? He says, well, you don't belong to yourself anymore for God bought you with a high price. And he's referring back to Jesus' death on the cross. When Jesus gave his life, he purchased the rights for you to be the temple of God where he places his spirit. As a result, you must honor God with your body. We'll come back to that. It's huge. So this is just more evidence that when it comes to the presence of God, it's no longer about places or spaces. It's about faces. It's about you. It's about me. It's about us. Now, okay, let's, let's break this down a little bit. Because, you know, if, if you're like me, you've always thought of a church, right, which is our word for temple, right, as followers of Jesus. Church was, was the house of God. This is God's house, right? That is not true. Not really. Now, you may call it that because that's what you call it. 
But if you want to be honest, according to what we're taught in the scriptures, this is the house of God. You are the house of God. There's nothing holy, now hang with me, about this place or this space. What makes any place or space have a holy element to it are the holy faces it contains. God is here because you are here. And when you leave and I leave in a little bit, God's not going to be hanging out here, sitting in your seat, watching NFL on the big screens. I'm like, ah, oh, man, I'm glad to have the place to myself for another six days. I'll see him next week, maybe. Right? No. When you leave, he leaves because he is in us. Now, I, this is a big shift in thinking. I, I get it. I, I grew up in church being taught, you know, that the church was the house of God and it was a holy place. And you did not wear your Atlanta Braves hat in church. Number one, because they stink as usual. <laughs> and number two, you just don't wear, you, you can't wear a baseball hat. I mean, even on Tuesday, if I were to come to church on Tuesday, or like, like if I forgot my watch or something, or, and I'm, I'm, I'm just walking to the building, you can't go in there, but take the hat off, take the hat off. This is the house of God, son. Yes, sir. But then on Easter, You see where I'm going with this? The place was filled with hats. Because the ladies get to wear hats. On Easter. Like, what's up with that? If I'd have walked in with my Braves hat, they'd have kicked my butt out of there. It's a holy place. No food or drink in here. No food or drink. Don't you, don't you bring any food in here and no drinks. Why? Because this is the house of God. It's a holy place, son. Okay, yes, sir. Is there something unholy about food? Drink? Nah, it just makes a mess. Oh, so messes are unholy. Okay. Until communion. Let's get bread and it's crumbly and the juice stains everything. Can't get that out of nothing. Right? It's a holy place. See, you see how we make up these rules? Do you see, are you with me? Do you feel that? And there's a certain way you dress too. There's a certain way you dress. You got to look a certain way. Got to look a certain way. You got to dress your best because it's the house of God. And there's a certain way you got to act. Why? Because it's the house of God. Now listen, I don't mean that in any disrespectful way. And this is kind of fun. We laugh at this kind of stuff because here at the summit, we don't deal with a lot of that because we've thrown out all those, as much of those man-made kind of rules and stuff as we can. We've had, we have the privilege of being able to do that, and I'm thankful for that, okay? But it's good that you understand this. You need to understand where all this came from. Because if this is the holy place, and if this is the holy space, you had better shape up before you walk in here. However, if what God tells us is true in his word, that I'm the house of God, that you're the temple of God, that we are where God's presence is, and we are where God puts his spirit do you know what that means? It means that what's much more important than what we do here on Sunday in this place or space is how we live Monday through Saturday. Because I'm the temple of God. I'm the 
house of God. You're the temple of God. The spirit of God is in you. The presence of God is in us. We take him with him everywhere we go. And so how we live our lives Monday through Saturday is of much more significance than what we do here on Sunday in this place and space. Because it's not about places and spaces anymore. It's only about faces. By the way, this is a huge benefit for those of you who are not Christians. A huge benefit of putting your trust in Jesus Becoming a follower of Jesus. Huge benefit because he places his spirit within you. Can you imagine what it must be like to know that God is with you because God is in you? And wherever you are, that's where God is. God is always here. There's no uh, special place. It's better than that. Besides, when people would call the church a, a house of God, I always wondered, which one? I'm going to church. It's, it's God's house. Which church? Well, ours, of course. Our, our church is his house. No, pastor, all of the churches are his house. Oh, okay, it's better than that. He's in you. He's in us. It's more special than you can imagine because you and I are where God is. Brings us to this theme for this series that that everything's kind of kind of point back to and it's going to seem simple it's going to seem overly simple for you but i promise you this is one of the deepest things you'll ever interact with i if, if you'll really let it sink in and here we go this is what we're learning we're learning to be aware god is there be aware god is there where yeah wherever it is you're asking the question from. Be aware, God is there. Well, where's that? Yes, yes. Wherever it is, you're asking the question from. And if you and I could just increase our awareness that God is there, we would be able to begin answering the question, where is God, in a, in a way that makes sense and in a way that you and I are transformed by it. And I know we got a lot of room to cover over the next few weeks because you're thinking, well, you say to be aware that God is there, but I look in my life and I, I don't see God. I don't see God. And you're looking at circumstantial evidence. I get it. I do the same thing. And there are certain things we, we expect, okay? If the God of the universe is here, then it should look like this, smell like this, and be like this. We've typecasted the presence of God and put it in a box. And we like to open it and point at it and say, see, and when things go wrong and there's a mess in our lives, we go, God's not here. Because if God was here, that wouldn't go wrong, that wouldn't go wrong, that wouldn't hurt, that wouldn't be that way. See, it's not true. You cannot detect God's presence just with circumstantial evidence. We'll get there. It's better than that. To be aware that God is there. Where? I don't see him. Yes right where you're asking the question from, in the circumstance that you're asking the question about. We say, well, I don't feel God. We're going to talk about that too. I mean, can I not feel that God is with me? Can I feel the presence of God? Listen very carefully. Yes, you can. God's presence can be felt. 
but not always. In fact, during some of the times when God feels the farthest away, as we will see in the next couple of weeks, he's actually the closest to you. Here's a tease. Ready? The scriptures tell us that God is close to the brokenhearted. Isn't that often when we feel like God has abandoned us? When our heart's broken? Where was God? Why did he walk out? Why did she walk out? Why did they do that? Why did they say that? Why didn't God stop that? Why didn't God? Why didn't? Oh, see, God is close to you in that moment. God is close to the brokenhearted. We'll go there. More later. There's a lot more. But can you feel the presence of God? Yeah, but not like we often think and not like we often assume. Because I hear, I hear people, and it's funny what Christians say. We talk about this kind of stuff before. Christians say all kinds of interesting things that Christians understand, right? And we're impressed by, but can you imagine what this sounds like to people that are not followers of Jesus that we hope one day would become a follower of Jesus? When we say stuff like, man, God was in the room today. <laughs> really? I must have missed that. Was he like in the back? Did he get up and go to the bathroom? Everybody else was getting up and going to the bathroom. <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was a low blow. Oh, I felt God. I felt God in the service. God was real today. Did you feel that? I felt God. I even hear churches, in church, I've, I've been in rooms and environments where they welcome God into the room. Like there's a moment when he comes in. Like, if you just tell me what door, I'm going to watch because I want to see this. This is going to be good. Like, he's back there. He, you know, God, we invite you. We invite you here. Like, God's outside pacing, hoping, won't they let me in? Won't they let me in? Won't they? Oh, they're singing my favorite song. I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> Funny, isn't it? That's the way we talk. Oh, God was in the room. God was in the place. God, would you please? You don't have to invite him. He got here when you did. He came here with you. And when you leave, he's going home with you too. Because you are the temple of God. What people are saying, they mean well. Bless all their hearts. They mean well. Right? What they're actually saying, let's, let's be honest. What they're saying is they felt something. They were emotionally engaged and there's nothing wrong with that. But let's be honest. What creates emotional engagement? Well, the music was right. The lighting was right, you know, and we took people on a journey, which we're all about. And we plan those moments and that's very important stuff. It's all a part of helping people mentally engage the timeless truths, the eternal truths of God. And we want people to feel something and I love feeling something. But, but let's call, feelings are feelings, right? And if the music's right or they play your favorite song or if you shed a tear or if you laugh, it's easy for us to say, oh, God was here. But here's the deal. If you feel nothing, God is still here. Oh, I love that church because God is there. <laughs> well, if there's one person who trusts and follows Jesus anywhere, he's there too. Um, th this is what you experience when you watch St. Jude's, right? Fantastic organization. Fantastic. What they do for, for families that can't afford the, the care, the medical care that those, their children need, amazing. But, they, but when you watch St. Jude's talk about what they do, one of the reasons why you are so pulled in is the way they present the information. 
with music. It's with story. We're impacted by story. Wonderful things. I, I hope, I hope you, you all think about supporting them. It's fantastic stuff. But let's call it what it is. Those are emotionally engaging feelings. Doesn't necessarily mean that God has showed up. It's also why you feel what you feel with the sad puppy commercials. Right? Just a sad puppy. And they're playing this, you know, Sarah McLaughlin song in the arms of an angel. And you're looking, you know, I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, I need that dog. And then they show a cat and I feel nothing. I feel nothing. I just, my whole mind goes blank. I just, and then, then they always end with a dog because, you know, oh, there I am, you know. We got to get rid of one of the kids. I got to get that, you know. Yeah. Hey, listen, don't get me wrong. There is something, listen very carefully. There is something amazing and I believe even supernatural that happens when the people of God who trust and follow Jesus all get in the same room at the same time and they begin to do what is described in the, in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament and they publicly together proclaim the goodness of God and they sing about the greatness of God and they you know, just remind each other how good God is, how great God is, and they sing about God and they sing to God. Something happens in a room like that that ignites passion and ignites emotions and that's healthy and that's good and I want us to see more of that. But God is no more present in that moment than when you are alone in your car and the world is falling apart and you're not sure if you want to go home or drive this thing over a cliff. Be aware. God is there. Where? Yes. Yes. Wherever it is you're asking the question from. We've got to increase our awareness we don't have to invite him. We don't have to coax him. We don't have to try to welcome him and convince him to join us because he's here in us and with us. Everywhere we go, God is there. When you leave here today, God is with you. When you go to work tomorrow, do you know God is there? At work. You don't understand where I work. If you're there, God's there. You know when you're in that argument with your spouse? Yeah, the real heated one? God's there too. And he's on your side. <laughs> no, he's not. Don't you, don't you wish. But see, but no, 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 we're going there. The next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about that. You see how that impacts? That's why, that's why Paul tells us, so honor God with your life. Honor God with this temple you have. Because while you're sitting there going back and forth and I told you so and you're an idiot and I can't believe I married you and we're so done and blah, 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 blah. God's right there. He's going, what in the world are y'all doing? You know, if Jesus were to, oh, we'll go there later. We'll go there. Do you, do you see how this impacts stuff? I want, I want to give you something that's very practical that's going to seem odd. Because I want you to leave here today and I want you to do something with me. Okay, because I commit to doing this with you as well. And you may just assume I'll automatically do this and so much more, but I'm, I'm making the commitment to do this with you as well. I want you to do something that I think will help increase your awareness that God is there with you, in you. And even if you're not a Christian, I want you to try this. I want you to try it. 
Because even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I think it will increase your awareness that God is with people. And I think it will create a longing within you for you to trust him to be with you as well through Jesus. Here it is. You ready? I want to challenge you to read your Bible 15 minutes a day. 15, that's it. Now, some of you extra Jesus people are going, that's it. How about an hour and 15? Oh, I'm so going to another church. So not spiritual enough. You go right ahead. The door's there, 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 and there. We love you. 15 minutes. And specifically, I want to challenge you to read in the New Testament where you see examples of real people just like me and you. I mean, it's all good stuff, but you have to know what you're reading. You have to know what you're reading and what the context is. It's all true, and it's all good. It all has a purpose. But in the New Testament, you get to see people just like me and you where God is literally with them. And, and they're learning what that means and what that looks like and what that feels and what happens when you know that God is with you. And I believe if you will do that, it'll increase your awareness. Now, will it make all your problems go away? No. Will it fix everything that's broken in your life? No. But what it will do is make you more aware that God is there. Say, I don't have a Bible. We give them away in the lobby. If you don't have one, we'll give you one. If you're watching online and you don't have one, hit the contact us button. We will mail you one. We want to make sure everybody, and most of you have access on your, I mean, all of you, if you have a smartphone, you have access to amazing stuff right there on your phone. 15 minutes a day. And see, if it does not increase at least your awareness that God is there. doesn't mean your feelings are going to change. And it doesn't mean your circumstances are going to change. But the fact remains, be aware. God is there. Where? Yes. Wherever it is, you're asking the question from. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for such a powerfully practical reminder that you are with us because you are in us. Help us to let go of the assumptions and how we have typecasted what your presence looks like and feels like and may we just rest in the truth that regardless of how we feel or how circumstances are lining up or not, you are in us. And thank you that it's no longer just about going to a holy place or a holy space. That you can take people and make them holy by putting your presence within them and within me and within us. Father, I'm amazed at the difference your presence makes. And may we increase our awareness that you are not far from any of us, but you are very, very close. And over the next few weeks, as we explore what this looks like with our relationships and when things go wrong and in the areas where we're hoping to see you and feel you and know that you're there, may we come back to this truth that we can be aware that you are there. Yes, wherever it is, we're asking the question from. In Jesus' name, amen.